Welcome to All About Blockchain. We're showcasing the work of scholars funded by the University Blockchain Research Initiative, Ubri. Ripple founded Ubri in 2018 with a 50 million philanthropic gift towards global university partners. Our goal is to accelerate understanding, innovation, and adoption in blockchain. And to find out more about this, you can go to ubri.ripple.com. This show gives a voice to those academics developing real world use cases that solve for today's challenges. My name's Lauren Weymouth, and I'll be your host. Today's scholar is a recent computer engineering graduate of University of Kansas. Nathan Nichols, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Lauren. Um, I'm excited to get to chat a little bit about blockchain and what I'm interested in and what I've been doing for the past couple of years at the University of Kansas. So tell us a little bit about your background and how as a computer engineer you first got involved in blockchain. So after my freshman year of college, this would be 2018, I did not have a software internship as a number of my friends did. And I was friendly with or knew the assistant dean of the School of Engineering who knew a KU Medical School student looking for a couple software engineers to work on a project. It was essentially using smart contracts and the Ethereum network to track different grants and funding for research projects. It was super interesting and I kind of realized that there was this whole area of the field that was super interesting and no one really talked about um, and could very well have a huge impact on the future of my field and our world. Wow. So does the medical school now use that tracking program? No, we had a like finished project, but we never actually like got it deployed, but it kind of served as my entry point for this technology and learning a little more about it. What did come out of it was I met a couple students who were all interested in blockchain technologies and we together co-founded the KU Blockchain Institute, which is a business school organization at KU centered around blockchain education and resources for students. Okay. So you're a sophomore in college. You have your first experience building on the Ethereum network and you joined or helped found a blockchain club of fellow students who were very interested in the technology. How else did you learn and increase your skills in blockchain at that point? The internet, just stack overflow for development and documentation. There's tons and tons of information and tutorials on YouTube. I already knew how to like program decently well at that point. So a lot of it was just refining my skills for a specific technology. Google Scholar is great and Google itself is great. There are tons of blogs and posts about different aspects of pretty much anything you could want to read about. That's great. Did you have a chance to take any courses at the university? The University of Kansas doesn't actually offer any blockchain specific classes. Um, I did have the opportunity to take a cryptography class in the mathematics department at KU. And it was like 600 level math class. And it was absolutely brutal. It was totally different from anything I had experienced in the engineering school. But it was super interesting and very well taught. And I did learn a lot. What was your big takeaway from that class? Proofs are totally different from literally anything else. In any other department, I thought I would have an edge because I'm taking all these computer science classes and engineering classes, totally different things, very helpful for programming. Like it improves your programming abilities and your ability to think about problems. Proofs are a totally different 
animal from anything we learn or do in computer science or engineering. Math is very, very different once you get above like math two or 300. What was the value in taking their cryptography course? The value added in it for me is that uh, math is just an entirely different way of thinking than engineering. And it really does improve how you think about programming too. And proofs. And proofs, yes. It was it was genuinely very interesting and very transferable to the work I hope to be doing. Well, that's a perfect segue. I think we're all really excited to hear about the work you've been doing with other developers, identifying real-life problems that could be solved using blockchain technology. And we'd love to hear about how you went about thinking about challenges that could be solved with blockchain and going about creating apps and other programs. Sounds good. So I personally really love hackathons and it's a chance to be competitive and really like buckle down and work on a team. You're just building a proof of concept that just has to work and you just have to make it work. You don't have to worry about scalability or usability. It has to be pretty and it has to work and it has to solve a unique problems. So you get to think about solutions to different problems. Take, for example, the first project I'm going to talk about is called Study, but it's with an X, like the Spring SDK, because we used the Spring SDK. And so essentially what it was is video chatting where I host a video chat session as a tutor and I get to pick how much I want to charge per hour. And then people who are looking to be tutored in whatever subject I'm teaching can join and they pay me every three seconds for the time spent in my room. Essentially, the problem we get to solve with this is that current models of internet tutoring are basically just, I pay for someone to do my homework. Look at Chegg. Chegg in 98% of cases is just, I have this problem. I'm going to paste it. I'm going to ask it on their platform. And that's one of my 10 or 20 or how many ever asks I paid for this semester, this month. And then someone answers it. I write down their answer. I don't actually learn anything as a student. And I just basically paid for cheating like cheating on my homework. Wait, this is new for me. I didn't have Chig when I was going through school. How many students are using this kind of tech? I don't really know. It's the thing, like it's the academic tutoring platform, I guess. And I don't, I've never really used it. So I don't really know exactly what's going on, but I have talked to some of my assorted friends about it. And essentially the drawbacks are as a student, you don't really learn all that much. There's not a lot of dynamic interaction um, between the person who's providing the information and the person who needs to be taught that information. So our solution with study is I'm a tutor. I'm really good at physics or something like that. I host a session. I give my public key, uh, my wallet address to that session And then I denote how much I'm charging per hour or per minute or whatever the denomination is. And then people who are looking to be taught that subject will join my session and load up a wallet in their browser. So if I'm charging 100 XRP per hour as a tutor, the students who are in my classroom, my virtual classroom, are paying me that amount adjusted for a three-second interval, for every three-second interval they're in my class. So if I'm really bad or I'm not answering their question, they can just leave and maybe they've paid 20 cents or whatever for the minute they were in the room. But it gives 
more control to the people as both tutors and the people being taught to kind of control how they learn. And it also benefits the students more because they're actually learning. They're in a dynamic environment where they can say, hey, hang on, can you re-explain that? I don't quite get that. And the tutor can go back and re-explain that and get paid for how many ever minutes they're talking. So you were able to create a system of micropayments. Yes. Okay. So just to recap, within about six months of hearing and learning about a new SDK, you were able to start doing hackathons, which are contests, and which you told us are judged on whether you're creating something useful, it works, and it's pretty. Did you win any of these hackathons? We, at both of these hackathons, we placed on that note can talk about micropayments and utilities, which is a pretty interesting use case. And it's kind of fun because I got to uh, do a little bit of embedded systems firmware type stuff, reading sensors. But the idea behind that one is I currently get billed for power every month. Everyone does. That's just how it works. I can't in real time go see how much power my house is consuming or my apartment is consuming or how much power I'm using on the heating. What we were doing is essentially I can in real time monitor how much power I'm using on whatever component I'm looking at and then also settle in real time for the power being used on that component. Our demo was an outlet and a current sensor on that outlet. And so essentially when you'd plug something in, you'd see your power spike on the web app we developed for it. And you would also see in your browser wallet on the web app, your account's XRP decrease as you pay for the power being consumed by that sensor. All right. So this time you're talking about micropayments, but for utilities. And it's almost as if you're putting the power in the consumer's hands because not only can they incrementally see what they're using, they can be educated on how what they're being instantly charged for. Yeah, this is another really great thing about hackathons is I can extrapolate on my ideas without being required to realistically implement that functionality. So one of the things we were pitching and really excited about with the Cryptility demo is the possibility for getting paid for a net positive power production. So say I have solar panels on my roof and I actually produce more energy than my house requires, the grid can pay me for the energy I'm producing, which would be super cool. Also super hard to implement. Um, so we just talked about that one as a possible extension, but um, that would be super interesting. What was the reception on that one from the judges? So generally, our demos get pretty good reception because they work in the ways they have to work for it to be a good demo. Okay, so here's an idea. It's a little bit out there. It's not something super realistic at the moment, at least for a business idea. But we have this really bare bones implementation of this really cool idea that works. And so people are like, wow, that's a really cool idea. And you have something to show for it. The key to doing well at hackathons is that idea. And how do you come up with something that's unique and forward thinking that you can also kind of sort of throw together in 30 hours? Got it. So that's the world of hackathons. So the question is, it sounds like you're gaining experience and getting really comfortable with implementing your ideas. Will you take the next step of partnering up with business school students to perhaps take something, you know, live and commercialize? Probably not right now. I don't know how evolved the technology would be for us to actually like be able to implement something like this at scale and 
two, I don't think any of the students who I hack with are good enough at building software at scale. I'm, I'm certainly not. Um, I have all of four months of professional software engineering experience. So I think there are a couple barriers to entry there that are not how good is your idea, but are based in timing and competency of people involved. That said, are there any examples currently of applications on the blockchain technology in use that are enterprise, commercializable? Outside of cryptocurrency itself, I like to see some of the traceability stuff that's going on, like Walmart is piloting a couple of programs. IBM has their food trace or food trust or um, something like that, where the idea is I pick up some head of lettuce off the shelf. I, as the consumer, can see where that came from, if it's organic, if it's non-GMO, and also Walmart, if some disease breaks out or if there's another E. coli infection on some product can be like, okay, so it originated here and we need to pull these exact 10,000 pallets of food and we don't have to worry about it after that. Also, things with identity are cool, like verifying your credentials. Like if instead of sending someone my transcript, I could just be like, hey, here is my public key. Go check out that I actually did this and I can verify it later. I think those examples are poignant and I think they're things that people may have read about, but it's good to know that these are things that we're all thinking about. It kind of leads me to the next question of where do you think blockchain is going? What's the future of blockchain? I think that this is kind of a weird situation where the kind of pioneering example of blockchain technology is cryptocurrency. And so you kind of get the use case before you get the technology. So I don't know exactly where any of this is going, but being able to mathematically verify your data is a very high potential thing for a bunch of different industries. So I'm optimistic, personally. Fair enough. Well, you sought out an internship this summer in blockchain. Tell, tell us about the work that you're doing day to day. So day to day, I am working on the Spring team as a software engineering intern. Currently, I am working on one of the open source libraries from 2015. So eliminating some tech debt, getting it up to modern standards, and then building probably some form of demo with it. Got it. Now, I haven't talked about Spring on the podcast yet. Maybe you can tell us a few words about what Spring's doing. So what Spring does is they publish different SDKs, which are software development kits for interacting with the XRP ledger, trying to get other developers to develop on top of our core technologies. Now, is this exciting for developers? This sounds like it's all open source and it's more tools being published. Does this make developers as yourself happy? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot easier to use the Spring SDK, which is published specifically targeting developers, trying to get kind of the base functionality down in as few lines of code as possible. It's a lot easier to use that than to um, set up a WebSocket that talks directly to the XRP ledger and then send it a bunch of different information and then parse the information you get back. And it's just much more streamlined using the, using the SDKs. So before you graduated, you were competing in hackathons and now you're interning for spring. What are some other cool devs that you've seen build other apps on the XRP ledger that you really admired? One of the cool ones, HackKU, was a team built online bounties using escrow. Yahoo Answers, where someone can post a question 
and then put money in escrow saying, whoever answers this question sufficiently, however you define sufficiently, um, gets the money that's now in escrow. And that's super cool. Another one we had the idea for kind of, but is a little too much to actually take on in a hackathon is instead of paying for cellular data at the beginning or end of the month with some quota of you can use five gigabytes. Instead, I pay in real time with whatever cellular tower I'm using based on a going rate. And so the cellular provider is happy because they can adjust rates based on the levels of traffic you get. I'm happy because I get to decide which cellular tower or the algorithm gets to decide which cellular tower I am on. And I can optimize based on how cheap the data is, how strong the connection is, or any number of things. It's super cool for a demo. If I could be streaming a YouTube video and hooked up to some hotspot there and a hotspot there, and it kind of uh, makes requests and streams videos uh, through either hotspot, depending on the cost of data. Yeah, I mean, real-time payments for cell phone use does sound like a really ambitious project, but if a team could actually crack that, the market is massive. Um, Yeah, the idea being kind of like Google Fi, but using micropayments to settle in real time. One of our hackathon teammates is half Russian, and so his mom, Saida, the family, lives in Russia, and they go back to visit all the time, and he forgot to contact his phone provider to allow international telephone calls. And so he was essentially without his phone for the week or two that they were in Russia. So that also gives you interoperability on different cellular networks. So as long as they have some form of ability to receive payment in real time, I can hook up to whatever tower I want and pay that tower for the data they are sending through that tower. That does sound awesome. What advice would you give to a freshman computer engineer coming into school that was interested in getting involved in blockchain? I don't know if I'm the person to ask that. I would have thought you'd say, just start hacking. Grab a bunch of friends and just start. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Hackathons are, well, one, good to have on your GitHub. I don't really have that many like personal projects or stuff I'm working on. Most of the time when I do a personal project, it's just like messing around. Let's check out this technology. Let's see what this does. So it's a nice cohesive way to put things on your resume and your GitHub. So that is good advice. I'm looking at it from a standpoint of if we're looking to lower the barriers to people entering the field, and there are still challenges in the field, right? We need it to be more scalable, better privacy, better security, more interoperability. And so as we're looking to solve all these challenges, we're looking for more you know, educated students to get involved. What do we have to do to get them interested? Go watch some of David Schwartz's talks at different blockchain events on YouTube, or some of his talks are just him sitting in his office. Super interesting. Lots of good ideas going forward. Crypto Twitter is a big thing. I'm not a big Twitter person, but I've been told by people who are big Twitter people that crypto Twitter is very real and everyone seems super nice and happy to help. Definitely looking into like different SDKs is big. 
try out PayID, build something on the XRP ledger using Spring, or go read into micropayments or go read into PayID and then come up with some cool little use case and go hackathon with it. Also, networking is a big deal. Go to conferences, get to know your advisor, add people on LinkedIn. Everyone on LinkedIn I've reached out to has been super nice. Like I reach out with a DM and say, hey, I'm super interested in this. And then you just go back and forth about that via LinkedIn DMs for a little bit. You learn a couple of new things and you get a new LinkedIn connection. Sounds like you had more advice than you thought you would have. All right. All right. So where do we want to send our listeners to find out more about everything we've talked about today? Check out my GitHub or my personal website. If you're looking into the technical side of things, definitely the XRP Ledger documentation is great and has all sorts of different tools for getting started with development. Look into the Spring SDK. It has all sorts of stuff for pay ID and Interledger. And on the non-technical side, there are lots of great YouTube videos. For me, that's always better than reading about different things. I tend to stay engaged better listening to people talk. Nathan, thank you for being here with us today and for doing the pioneering you're doing. I know it's early days in blockchain and it takes people like you that are curious and interested in trying new tech and getting involved. And thank you for being willing to inspire more people. Thank you for having me, Lauren. This was uh, really fun. Well, it was a pleasure hosting you on Uber's podcast all about blockchain. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions about this episode or any feedback for new episodes, please reach out to uber at ripple.com. 